Um, tonight, uh, we're going to be continuing our series. Last week, we started a series on kind of digging into our pasts. Um, and tonight, I want to start things off by asking you kind of a weird question, but just by a show of hands, how many of you, how many of you in the room would say that you're a football fan? You like NFL football, college football? American football? Yes, American football. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, Jermaine. Yes, Jermaine. American football. Yes, yes. No, yeah. Good, good to clarify that. Um, awesome. So most of you, um, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I'm uh, from Texas and I am a huge Cowboys fan. Uh, yeah, thank you. Right? Um, all, 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 all true Christians, I, I truly believe, are Cowboys fans. So, you know, if you're not, we can talk after tonight and we, we can discuss, you know, your future. But, um, yeah, I am, yeah, I, I'm a huge Cowboys fan. And, and, and when, I say, when I say huge Cowboys fan, I, I kind of need to elaborate because before I got married, even as I was a grown man in my early to mid-20s, I literally had like everything in my room was cowboys, like my comforter, like yeah, my sheets, my pillowcases, like the colors painted in my room were gray and blue, like everything was Dallas Cowboys. Like it was literally like walking into the room of a 10 year old. And honestly, if I had it my way, it would probably still, yes, yes, yes. And honestly, if I had it my way, I would probably still have my room look like that, but I'm married and, well, my wife makes those decisions, so it's not going to look like that. Um, but if you don't know anything about the NFL, I'm going to clue you in on a few things. The Dallas Cowboys are like the biggest like villain like in the NFL. Basically, if you're, not, if you're not a Dallas Cowboys fan, you hate the Dallas Cowboys, right? Like, you either love them or you hate them, and I love them, and if you don't, well, you're, you know, just not as cool as me. But anyways, there is another team uh, in the NFL that's almost as big of a villain in the NFL, and that team is the New England Patriots. Yeah, yeah if you don't like them, you hate them. Um, this past year, I don't know if any of you watched the Super Bowl, um, but for those of you who did not, I'm going to fill you in on what happened. Um, it was the Patriots and the Falcons. And because the Cowboys weren't in it, and we we're like, like I said, the villain, the other villain was in the Super Bowl, so I felt like I had to root for the bad guy, right? Like, so I was all about the Patriots. They're in the AFC, we're in the NFC. I didn't want another NFC team to win because my Cowboys weren't there, so I was just like, go Darth Vader, right? Basically is what I was saying. So if you missed the game, it was probably one of the, it was the greatest Super Bowl that I've seen in my lifetime. Um, it was incredible. Like. It was just amazing. Like, it's going to go down as one of the greatest Super Bowls ever played. And it didn't start off looking like that. Uh, it didn't start off looking like it was going to be a great game. Uh, it started off with the Falcons just, like, kicking the Patriots' butts. Um, I was actually watching the game at who I consider uh, to be, like, a father to me. Um, I, me and my wife were over at his and his wife's house. We were watching the game. And it honestly got to this point in the game where we actually considered changing the channel. And if you're a football fan, you just don't do that. Like, even if my Cowboys aren't playing and it's football season and somebody's playing, like, I don't care if it's the Raiders or whoever else that's really terrible, I'll watch it, you know? Because it, it, it's, just, it's just what you do and it's what I do as a football fan. But as I was sitting there and I'm watching this game, I'm like, okay, I think it might be time to change the channel. And they got down to the end of the third quarter 
There were two minutes and eight seconds left in the game. Falcons were up 28 to three. Doesn't seem like that huge of a deficit, but it was big. Yeah, it was, it was huge, it was huge. So I, I wanna pause here for a moment and just explain something to you. So at this point in the game, there are exactly 17 minutes and eight seconds left in the game, okay? So two minutes and eight seconds left in the third. That's all that was left, 17 minutes and eight seconds. And the Patriots needed to catch up three touchdowns, three two-point conversions, and a field goal to win the game. Now last year, I, I went back and looked, each team they actually were averaging, their offense was averaging about three minutes per offensive drive. That meaning every time their offense got on the field, they took about three minutes. Now, each time that happened, uh, sometimes it would end in a touchdown, other times it would end in a field goal, sometimes they would punt it away, sometimes they'd fumble, you know, whatever. So it didn't always end in points, but sometimes it did. So at this point in the game, the Patriots needed four possessions. They, they needed four drives to catch up to the Falcons. And, and as I've already said, they took three minutes each time. Um, after they got the ball, the Falcons obviously would get the ball back. So I'm no, you know, mathematician, but I did the math. And the Patriots at this point in the game needed 24 minutes. They needed 24 minutes realistically left in the game in order to have enough time to even come back and tie the game. So I cannot stress enough how impossible it was looking. Like it was at this point where you were just like, this, they're, they're not gonna come back. But as I sat there and we're getting ready to change the channel, I thought to myself, you know what? It's Tom Brady. <laughs> and you know, if you know anything about football, you know that Tom Brady is just not somebody that you root against. I'm a Cowboys fan and I hate to see other teams win, obviously, but it's Tom Brady. So as I sat there, I thought to myself, you know what? There's still time left on the clock. It's Tom Brady. If anybody can pull this off, it's Tom Brady. So wouldn't you believe it? Tom Brady, he leads his team back, and most of you probably know the outcome. They, they tie it up with seconds left in the fourth quarter. They go into overtime, and they end up winning the game. It was crazy, like just insane. It was nuts. It was awesome to watch. Now, I know many of you were looking at me like, Okay, enough about football. We don't care about football. Why is this guy talking about football? We hate football. You know, I came here. Yeah, I came here to hear about Jesus, and he won't shut up about football. Get on with it. Well, maybe tonight, maybe tonight you're a person who feels like in life the enemy has been running up the score on you. Maybe you walked into this room tonight feeling defeated. Maybe. Maybe you're going through something or you're going through a season in life where it just feels like one thing after another and you just feel like you can't, can't get ahead. And, and maybe you're, you're feeling like tonight that the enemy has been running and scoring more points on you than you have been on him. And, and maybe God put me up here to tell you tonight that there is still time left on the clock. And if you still have air in your lungs and if you are not dead, then God is not done with you. Maybe God sent me to tell you that he still has a plan for your life. And as I said, if you're still breathing, God isn't done with your life. And he wants to do something powerful through your life. Each and every person sitting in this room has a story and has been through different experiences in life that they can use to impact those around them. So just know that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing in life, God has a plan for you. And I know so many times in life we can get to places where we just feel like, Life is really just kicking us into the ground, stomping us into the ground. And let me just 
reiterate this one more time. If you're not dead, then God is not done with you. And that's, that's something I think that we can all be thankful for. So if you haven't already, go ahead and grab one of the outlines that I left on your uh, chairs. And we are actually going to be looking at the book of Zechariah tonight. Now, don't pretend like you know where that is in the Bible, because most of you probably don't. But the table of contents in the Bible was God-inspired, so, you know, he put it in there for a reason. <laughs> but tonight we're going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 3, and, and I have four points that I want to make tonight that I want to use for those of you that maybe walked in the room tonight feeling really discouraged, like life is just not going your way, maybe like you feel like you just have no hope, things are never going to get better. And I, and I want to encourage you here tonight with some words that we're going to find in the book of Zechariah. And the first word that I want to talk about tonight that you can go ahead and fill in on the number one blank is accusation. Accusation. So tonight I want to do things a little different. Usually I read the entire passage and then we kind of dissect it together. But tonight I want to do things a little different if that's okay with you. I'm going to read a little bit and then I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And then I'm going to read a little bit and then I'm going to talk a little bit. Read more, talk more. Is that okay with everybody? Too bad. So that's good. I'm going to do it anyways. So Zechariah chapter 3 verses 1 starts off and it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest. All right, we're going to go ahead and just stop right there. Right? Okay, so. Yeah, right? I know, that's a huge portion, right? Like, that's a lot to, a lot to consume. But we're going to go ahead and dissect that for a minute. So, so what we have here is we have Joshua the high priest. Now, I want you to stop here, and I want you to take a minute, and I want you to think about the godliest person that you know in life. Now, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm the godliest person that I know. Not me, but yourself. You're wrong, probably. So, and if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, well, you are, Pastor Matt, you're the godly, you're also wrong. So, you know, but I want to keep coming back to this part where it says that Joshua is a high priest. And, and during this time, Joshua is in Israel. And Israel, at this time in history, is the godliest place on earth. So what we have here is we have a man who's a high priest. That means he dots all the I's, he crosses all the T's. That means he gets every single commandment right. He is doing everything he's supposed to be doing. He's doing everything that God wants him to be doing. We understand that? Perfect. So we'll continue. Zechariah 3, 1. Zechariah is standing before Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. So we're going to pause here again, right? I know, even more. So I want to ask you something. If, if Satan is standing beside Joshua, the high priest, the godliest person in the land, the godliest person in Israel, and he's standing there accusing this man, he's standing there accusing this great man of God, then what do you think he can do to you and I? I mean, as I'm reading this and I'm thinking like, okay, if Satan's standing there accusing the godliest man, like, what can he do to me? Because the fact of the matter is, like, if I was standing next to Jesus, nobody is going to mistake us for identical twins, right? Like, they're going to know, like, I'm not Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this portion of passage, and this, this portion of accusation, it is reminding me the fact of the fact that every single person sitting in this room, every single person that will ever walk the face of the earth, desperately needs the grace of God. Each person in this room needs the grace of God. I don't care how good we think we are. I don't care how many mistakes we think we have made in life. I don't care how bad we think we are. We all need the grace of God. And I'm talking about even on our best days. Because each and every day that we wake up, we can either say one of two things. We can say, 
good morning, Lord. Or we can wake up and we can say, good Lord, it's morning. How am I going to get through this day? Where's the coffee, right? And, and maybe you got out of bed this morning and you said, good morning, Lord, and you read your Bible for an hour and you did a Bible study and you walked downstairs to find that your roommate or your spouse or, or your kids left just a, a, a sink full of dishes and you thought to yourself, you know what? This is awesome. Bless the Lord. I have an opportunity here to serve. It's going to be amazing. And then, and then you went down to your car and you realized that you forgot to fill up with gas. And you thought to yourself, God is good. I get to now go to the gas station. And I get to talk. Yeah, right. And I get to talk to somebody about Jesus. And it's going to be amazing. So you go to the gas station. You fill up. You pull out into traffic and somebody cuts you off and they give you the international sign to tell you that you're number one. And you think to yourself, thank God, because when I am persecuted, I am blessed. And I am so blessed right now. And you go to work and, and you walk in and your coworker's like, there is something different about you today. And you're like, well, I've just been in the presence of the Lord all day. And they're like, tell me about this, Lord. And you lead all your coworkers to Christ. And lead them to salvation, and you're just having the most amazing Monday. day, right? And that's Monday. That's and that's Monday. Day. And you get home, and you're like, I'm going to go for a walk. And you look down, and you realize that you're walking on water because you just have that much faith, right? Like, it's just one of those days. Listen to me very carefully. Even on that day, even on that day, when we feel like we couldn't be any closer to God, even on that day, we fall incredibly short of deserving his grace. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for God's grace in my life. Because with the mistakes that I've made and the things that I have, I have done and, and the chaos that I have caused in life, I am just so thankful for the grace of God because if it wasn't for his grace, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. So as so we get back to this scripture, Satan's standing here, he's accusing Joshua and and I don't know about you, but, but for me as I'm reading this and I'm thinking about when the enemy is accusing me, I'm realizing that he doesn't have to accuse me of things that I didn't do, right? Like, I have given him a lot of ammo to use against me, right? Like, I've made a lot of mistakes. And don't look at me like, yeah, Matt, we know you're jacked up. Because you're jacked up too, right? <laughs> like last week, turn to the person next to you. Tell them they're jacked up. Yep, there, yep, 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 there you go, yep, 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 there you go, there you go. There you go. There you go. So we did that last week. This will be the last week because some of you are enjoying that a little bit too much. So um, it's, been, it, it's been a few years, but as I'm reading this, it's reminding me of this time when I was sitting with my wife, and, and I don't remember if we were married at the time or not, but she showed me a picture on social media, and it was a, it was a picture of a, a friend of hers um, on Visalia PD's webpage, and it's a picture of him. <laughs> From, from behind, like, it, wa it wasn't showing his face, but, you know, it was a really close friend of her, so she knew who, knew who he was. And I remember looking at the picture and, and seeing that they were giving him, like, a sobriety, you know, test. So it was one of those pictures where they were saying, you know, don't drink and drive, and, you know, you just knew the outcome of what was happening there. Um, and as I, and I, was, as I was looking at that picture, I was reminded of so many times in my life where I was, I'm just going to be transparent with you, where I was so high or I was so drunk, decided to get in my car, drive home, woke up the next morning, and instantly was like, I don't remember how I got home. 
going downstairs, looking at my car and thinking, are there any dents? Are there any scratches? As I was looking at that picture and I was being flooded with those memories of, of past mistakes that I had made, it was almost like the enemy was sitting right next to me in that room as I was looking at that picture. And, and it was like the enemy was telling me, you see, Matt, you've always been like this. You've always been a failure. This is who you are. And isn't it funny what the enemy can use to accuse us and attack us? And he doesn't have to make it up. He doesn't have to gossip about us. He doesn't have to make up a story about us. Like, we give him plenty of ammunition to use against us. And this leads me to my second point tonight, and that's vindication. Now, I want to ask you something, and this only works if you guys are honest with me. So just by a show of hands, how many of you in the room have ever been in a fight? And I'm not talking about, like, a fight where you're yelling at somebody and, you know, I'm talking about, like, punches are thrown. Okay, awesome, right? Well, not awesome. We, uh, it's clear. <laughs> it's, 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 it's clear to me that we have a very violent group, but that's okay. I, you know, I'm glad you're here with me. It makes me feel better. So, so I'm going to ask you another question, um, and it's, it's even more important that you're even more honest about this one. How many of you have ever lost a fight? Notice my hand's still up. Yes. And anyone's hand that was up during the first question and not during the second question, they're liars. So you can, you can go talk to them and approach them afterwards. So, and I know, there's probably, I know there's probably somebody in the room that's probably listening to me and thinking to themselves, you know what, Pastor Matt, nobody ever wins a fight. Exactly. And you're wrong. Let me just tell you, you're wrong. Because, because I have been on the receiving end, and I have been on the giving end. And let me just tell you that God's word remains true. It is far better to give than to receive. Okay? So let me just, let me just throw that disclaimer out there for you. So I can remember being, I think I was in like the fourth or fifth grade. Um, and on this particular day, it had been raining. And I don't know how it was when you were in elementary school, but... When I was, when it rained, we didn't go outside for PE. We sat in the classroom, and, which was just wonderful because you got to sit in the classroom with a, room of a, with a group of about 30 to 35 kids sitting on the floor, scattered about the room with nowhere to walk and play games and do different things like that. And on this uh, particular day, I had a little run-in with this boy named Anthony. Now, Anthony did not like me, okay? We uh, kind of ran into each other uh, in kindergarten when I first moved to California from Texas. And he didn't like me. And Anthony was one of those kids that I swore had been held back like 18 times. Like, he was, he was big. And it's not this Anthony, okay? Just let me throw that disclaimer out there. But this, this, this kid, Anthony, he, he didn't like me. He was, he was a big scary guy, right? Like, he was one of those kids that didn't get dropped off at school in the fifth grade. Like, he drove his mom to school, and then she got in the driver's right? Like, okay, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but yeah, totally not. But he was a big kid, and, and, and it was a rainy day, and him and his friend decided that they were going to build a tower out of Jenga blocks. Anybody remember the Jenga blocks? Right, yeah. So they weren't, they weren't playing Jenga, like I said, he had been held back probably like 18 times, so they weren't the smartest tools in the shed, but they were just building a tower. 
And I remember walking over to my teacher's desk, and I don't remember exactly why I was doing that. I think I was asking to go to the restroom or something, but my leg kind of grazed the tower. Yeah. And I think you can probably guess what happened next. That tower came crashing down. And by his response, you would have thought that I just like ran over his dog or something. Like, he was furious. Luckily for me at the time, we were right next to my teacher's desk, so he didn't just jump up and beat me up then. But as PE went on inside the classroom, he made it very clear to me that we were going to fight after school. And I was not looking forward to that. So lunch came, and I had a best friend. His name was Stephen. And thank God for Stephen. <laughs> because as I said before, Anthony was big. Stephen was bigger. <laughs> like Anthony had been held back 18 times. Stephen had been held back like 28 times. And when I was in kindergarten, me and, me, me and Stephen, we instantly hit it off. His family had just moved from Oklahoma, so we both had still a little bit of like an accent, and kids made fun of us. And, you know, so we kind of hit it off, and we were just, you know, instantly best friends. And he wasn't in my class during this grade, but we had lunch together every day. So we went to lunch after that. And as I'm sitting there, he can tell something's wrong with me. So he's like, what's, what's up? Like, what's wrong with you? So I, I filled Stephen in, you know, um, on what had transpired. Um, I told him all about how Anthony was going to beat me up after school. And I was raised to not start a fight. But if somebody wanted to fight me, I was, I was raised to not back down from a fight. So I had every intention of going to that fight, knowing good and well that I was going to get my butt kicked. It wasn't going to be fun, but I was going to show up anyways. And... I'll never forget this. Stephen looked at me and he said, you know what? You tell Anthony that if he wants to beat you up, he's going to have to go through me first. And let me tell you how confident I walked back to class. <laughs> right? Like, I could not wait to get back to class to talk to Anthony. Like, I could not wait to see Anthony to tell him, you know, I know you want to fight after, after school today, um, but you might want to go have a conversation with Stephen first because Stephen wanted me to inform you that if you lay a hand on me, you're going to have to go through him, and he's ready to open up a can. So you might want to go talk to him first, right? But the reason I bring that story up is because we have Joshua standing here, and he's being accused by Satan. And I don't know about you, but when I'm being accused or feel like I'm being attacked by somebody, my first reaction is to fight back. Right? Like, somebody punches me, if somebody walks in here and punches me, my first reaction isn't going to be to just lay hands on them and say, God, please, you bless this person. Like, right? Like, that's not our first human reaction. Our first human reaction is to, to attack back, and it's to fight back. And many times in your life, when you feel like life is kicking you down and life is just beating you up and people are attacking you and persecuting you, like, your first initial reaction is to fight back. But I love... I love what happens here in verse 2. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? So in other words, what the Lord is saying to Satan is, Look, bro, I created Joshua. I knew every single mistake that he was going to make in life. And just an FYI, I went ahead and arranged for the payment to be made for every sin that he was going to make, just so you understand. And that's exactly what it is like for us as children of God. How many parents do I have in the room? I have a few, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, perfect. So let me, let me put it this way. 
if you want to get your butt kicked, go mess with one of their kids. Like, right? Yes, right? If you want to get lit up, like, come mess with one of my sons. I will light you up, right? And I might be a pastor, but I'll be the first one to admit I am an imperfect father, and I will jack you up, right? So (laughs) thinking in that kind of context, as an imperfect father, if that's my reaction as imperfect people, how do you think our perfect heavenly father feels when the enemy starts to mess with us? You see, the beautiful thing here tonight is that before you were created, God knew every stupid thing that you were going to do. He knew every mistake that you were going to make. He knew every nasty thing that was going to come out of your mouth. He knew every single sin that was going to take place in your life. And he arranged for the payment of your sin and my sin to be paid by his son, Jesus Christ. So the next time the enemy starts reminding you of your past and all the mistakes that you've made in life... You remind him of his future. You remind him of the fact that Christ already paid for those mistakes, so we don't have to relive them. All right, number three, transformation. Transformation, right? You like that little? Yeah. Yeah? Thank thank you, Jermaine. Thank you. So so this is where our story gets very interesting. Um, In verse 3, now, now in preparing for tonight's message, I I had never seen this before in reading this passage. And, you know, a lot of pastors like to use the term, yeah, I've read this portion of scripture a hundred times. I haven't read it a hundred times, two or three. Don't judge me. You probably didn't even know Zechariah was in the Bible. But here we have Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3. It says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. And as he stood before the angel, the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and then I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, this is Zechariah getting involved here. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Now, as I was reading this and as I was preparing for tonight's message, I was completely blown away by the imagery that God is kind of laying out here for us, right? Like, I was blown away by the transformation that has taken place in Joshua's life. And, and let me kind of set it up this way. When I was younger, my mom and my stepfather had best friends, uh, Loretta and Kevin. And, and I called them Aunt Loretta and, and Uncle Kevin. Like, they were best friends. We literally went over to their house every weekend. My mom's stepdad had, you know, four kids. Um, they had four kids, so we would go over there, and the parents would play cards or do whatever, and all of us kids would, you know, watch TV or play video games or uh, swim. They had a pool or, or watch movies or whatever, and my mom is still friends with Loretta. My stepfather, um, unfortunately, has passed away, but my sister actually married their son. Now, before you think I'm, like, crazy redneck, they weren't actually my aunt and uncle, okay? Like, let me just, let me just, throw, let me just throw that out there. They weren't actually my... Yeah, they aren't actually my aunt and uncle, but that's what we considered them. But my sister married their son. They live in Sacramento. And anyways, back to my story. So we're over at their house one Saturday evening, and I came inside from the backyard. We, all of us kids had been back there swimming, and I needed to go to the restroom. They had two bathrooms in their house, one in the, in the front of the house, and then one back through my Aunt Loretta and Uncle Kevin's bedroom, like in their bedroom, and then, yeah. So... My mom informs me that somebody was using the front restroom so that if I needed to use the bathroom, I was going to have to go into their bathroom in their room. Now, 
like I said, we were like their kids. So this wasn't a weird thing for us to go through their room to get to the bathroom. This was an, a normal kind of thing. It wasn't weird at all. However, this particular day, it got real weird. <laughs> like real weird. I was about eight or nine at the time and my Aunt Loretta happened to be in the room changing into her bathing suit. Um, my Aunt Loretta was not a small girl. Um, and I can remember so vividly walking in. And just imagine me walking in like this, right, into their bedroom. And then their bathroom was like over where that door was. So you had to like walk around. And I remember opening the door and coming in. And lo and behold, there stood my Aunt Loretta in her bra and underwear. And I was... I was horrified, right? Like, I was terrified. I could not get out of this room fast enough. I was scarred for life. And I'm convinced, I am convinced that this event definitely led me down a life of drugs. But I'm just kidding. 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 Um, all, all right, don't judge me. Thank you, Jermaine. Yeah, don't judge me. You guys aren't perfect. But all joking aside, you know, you know what I realized as I, was, as I was preparing and God was kind of reminding me of that story? What I realized and, and what God really spoke to me is the fact that we don't like people watching us change. Right? Like, it's not, uh, it's not a good thing. Like, we don't like people watching us change. Like, when you leave here tonight, you're not going to rush to the mall and go pick out a pair of pants and stand in the middle of the store and think, you know what? I like these pants. I'm going to try them on and take yours off and pull yours off. Now, now I know there's a couple of you that are brave in here, and you're going to take that as a challenge. That's not a challenge. Like, I'm not challenging you to do that. But, but like, we, we as humans, we, we don't like it when others watch us change. So, so as I'm looking at this text, and it says that Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes, and the angel started changing Joshua. Now, if I'm Joshua, at this point in the passage, I'm going to call a quick timeout, right? Like, and I'm going to say, hey, this is awesome. Like, these clothes are dirty. Those clothes that you're going to put on me are amazing. Um, but if it's okay with you, can we just call a timeout and, like, tell Zachariah to kind of, like, get out of here? Or is there a changing room that I can go into and kind of go back there and have a little bit of privacy? But if you notice in this passage, God begins to change Joshua in the exact environment that he has declared dirty. So he begins to change him, and then Zachariah does something amazing. He, he takes a sign. Now, now, don't miss this, because when we begin to see people changing, what we need to understand, not close, but... You know, as people, as we see people changing in life, we have, we have a choice to make. We have a side to take. And we can take one of two sides. We can take the side of accusation when we see somebody changing in life and say, like, yeah, like, you are dirty. Like, your life is jacked up. Like, what's wrong with you? You need help. Or, or you can take the side of transformation like Zachariah and you can actually get involved and helping this person transform into who God has created them to be. But you see, the problem is that too many times in life as Christians, we like to sit up on our high horse, looking down at everybody else, pointing out the mistakes that they make in life, telling them what terrible people they are, rubbing their noses in whatever they did, like 
too many times in the church, like that's our initial response. And, and it's a lot easier for us to do that than it is to actually reach down into the pit and get our hands a little dirty with the people around us, right? Like one of the things I love about this church and, and being a pastor at this church and getting to know the people in this church is there are so many people in this church that love to get their hands dirty. There are so many people in this church that, I mean, you can come to this church any day of the week, and there are going to be people that are excited to meet you right where you're at. You can show up at this building any day of the week, going through what may seem like to you the worst day of your life, and there are going to be people in this church that want to meet you exactly where you're at. No matter how many mistakes you think you've made, there are people in this very room that are going to celebrate that you are here. You don't have to be perfect to walk into this church. And that's something that gets me very, very excited. I'm so, so very glad that this is a place that you don't have to be perfect. I'm so glad that this is a place that you can come and you can take a few steps in your Christian walk and, and you can fall flat on your face and, and there are going to be people that want to help you back up, right? Like, I can remember when my oldest son, Maverick, he, he first started, started to learn how to walk. And the facts were that uh, he wasn't actually walking. He was falling forward. Like, right? Like, it was a controlled fall. Um, but I can remember my wife and I, like, being so excited when he finally, like, would crawl over to the table and pull himself up and get brave enough to turn and take a few steps. And I can remember us recording those two steps and seeing him fall and cutting the video before he fell and sending those two steps to everybody in our family. Like, so excited that he was walking, right? Like, it was amazing. Like, we were so, we were so, so excited. And, and Mason's getting there, too, and we're excited for him to start walking. But... Let me tell you what we didn't do. When Maverick took those two steps and fell down, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> right? Like, let, let, me, let, me tell you, let me tell you what we didn't do. When Maverick took two steps and fell down, we didn't go over to him. I didn't go over to him as his father and pick him up and, like, grab him and say, what's wrong with you? You know, like, we're... We're the youngs. Like, we don't fall down in this house. Like, we don't do that. We walk. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, but... Yeah. But, you know, that's not what I did. Like, I didn't, I didn't go over to him and tell him, we don't fall down in this house. So, so you better learn to walk, and you better not fall down again. And if you fall down again, you're out of the house. You're, you're kicked out of the family, right? Like, that would be insane, right? Like, that would be crazy, and you would look at me if I said that I did do that, like I'm an insane person, and I would agree with you, but, but the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, we have been doing that exact thing in the church for years, right? Like, we see somebody in the church make a mistake, or, or take a few steps and fall down, and and instead of running over and picking them up and walking alongside them and celebrating with them about those two steps, we, we, it's like we push them back down. And, and it's my prayer that, that we would continue to create an environment here at Rise and, and in this young adult group where we can, we can see somebody take a few steps in their walk with Christ. We can see them fall down and that we would be people that run over to them. We pick them up and we say, hey, you took two steps. You took two big steps in your walk with Christ. Like, let's get up. I'm going to help you up off the ground, and we're going to celebrate that you took those two steps. Right? And I, 
there's some of you sitting here and you're thinking, well, yeah, that's a, that's a good illustration for, for kids and that works for kids, but what about adults? Well, I fell down Sunday. Right? Like, adults, adults fall too. No, I got up on that. Right? Yeah. Like, yes, 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 right? Like, the fact, the fact is adults fall too. And yes, both physically and metaphorically, you know, but I fall down physically a lot. It's kind of funny, but you know, but the fact of the matter is adults fall too. And, and if you're here tonight and you've never fallen down in life, if you've never made a mistake, if you've never sinned and you've never felt like life was just one big mistake and you couldn't do anything right and if you're sitting here and you've never made a mistake you've never fallen down well then I just want to welcome you here to planet earth (laughs) because you must be some sort of alien sent from another planet perfect being Um, so welcome but what do we do when adults fall down well that's a great question and I've got an answer for you and we find it in Proverbs 24 and don't turn there I'm going to read it real quick Proverbs 24, 16, it says, For the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. So what you need to understand and what I want to tell you tonight is that if you have fallen down this past week, get back up. Right? Like, get back up. If you feel, if you walked in here tonight and you feel like the, the enemy has just been running up the score on you in life, get back up. Because there is still time left in the game, and if you're not dead then God is not done with you. You still have a Savior who is on your side. You have a God who went into battle for you. So if you fell down, even on your way here tonight to church, get back up and keep going. My last point for us tonight is celebration. Number four, celebration. So Zechariah 3.6, it says... Mm -hmm. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. So pause here for a second because I want us to understand that at this point in the passage, Satan has been like kicked out. Like Satan's not in the picture anymore. Like he's gone. We're not listening to Satan anymore. Satan's not there to accuse us. God's told him to, you know, skedaddle, get out of here. So he's not there anymore. So let's continue. So this is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements... Then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. See, what we need to understand tonight is that God took a messed up, a jacked up priest, changed him, made him new, and said, I still have a plan for your life. So, if you don't know, Several years ago, several years ago, I got fired from a job. And I, I need to reiterate that because a lot of times when somebody says that they lost a job, it, it can be because they were hired on a seasonal or, or whatever. But I was, I was fired from a job, like fired because I had a drug problem. And... It was rough. Like this was a time in life when I had a beautiful girlfriend at the time who's now my wife. More beautiful now than when we met, but 
you know, I, I was at a point in my life where I got fired and I spent several weeks after that lying to her. Like, lying to her. Like, hard lying to her. Like, we would wake up in the morning and she was working in Fresno at the time. And we would, like, both get ready. Like, she would legit get ready for work. Like, I would get ready for the day and pretend like I was going to work, but I wasn't going to work. Like, it was bad. Like, I, like and I would be gone all day. And, and obviously, I wasn't going to work. I had been fired. And what I was doing instead is I was going and I was selling pretty much every possession that I owned at the time so that I could continue to buy drugs from my drug dealer at the time. And, you know, it's, fun, it's almost funny now to think back because I, I can remember, like, at that point in my life, I can remember watching shows like Cops or, like, Intervention, and I would see these crazy people on TV, right? Like, they had these <laughs> insane, like, drug problems and these crazy people that were doing these crazy things. And I always thought to myself, you know, like, at least I'm not that bad. Like, at least I'm not as bad as those people until this time when I was that bad. And it wasn't, it wasn't very funny anymore. And the day came that I'll never forget. <laughs> A day came that I lied to Courtney. Sorry. I, uh, I lied to Courtney. I told her that I was going to work. She left. I left. I went to my brother's house. I had been using all day. All day. I don't even remember eating. And it was around 7 or 8, and he decided that he wanted to go to Target. So I went with him, and we went to the Target over on the north side of Visalia, and I went outside. He, we, he was in there for a while, and I remember him walking around and getting a bunch of stuff, and I remember just getting to this point to where I was like, I don't feel good. Like, you know, I just, I didn't feel good. I'd been using drugs all day and hadn't eaten. Of course I didn't feel good, but I went outside to his truck to wait for him, and I you know, being stupid, thought to myself, well, I don't feel good, so I'll just use a little more, and that'll make me feel better, sure, right? Like, totally, because it's worked for so many years before. But I decided, you know, to go outside, and as I was standing there, I, I, I used more, and the next thing I remember, I, I woke up in the hospital, and Courtney was standing beside me, and she told me that, I needed to move out of the house. We weren't married at the time. We were living together, um, which wasn't right. So let me just throw that disclaimer out there. But disclaimer. Let me, just, let me just throw that out there. Yeah. As a pastor, I feel like I had to clarify that. Uh, so it wasn't right, but we were living together, and I remember her standing there and telling me that, you know, I needed to move out of the house. She wanted nothing to do with me until I got clean. Like, that was it. I remember having a similar conversation with my mom 
she told me that I wasn't allowed at the house anymore. Um, at that time, my, my stepfather had already been killed, so I was spending a lot of time over there helping with, helping with the, my nieces and nephews and, and spending time with them. And, you know, she, she told me, like, you're, you're not allowed any, here anymore. I, I don't, we don't need to be around you. We don't need to open ourselves up to this. Because, you see, at this point, I had already gone to rehab. I had already gotten clean. They all thought I was still clean. And... I wasn't. So she left, and I had nowhere to go. So I asked my brother if I could, you know, stay with him and his wife, and they agreed and said that I could stay there for a few days uh, while I figured out how to, you know, get back into rehab or a treatment facility of some kind, or if I, you know, figured out how to how to figure out another living situation. Um, so the next day, I, I tried and. I had been fired, like my insurance was already canceled. So there went rehab. I had sold everything I owned, anything of value. I had no money, I couldn't pay to get into rehab. So I begged my brother and my sister-in-law um, to let me stay at their house just, just so that I could go through detox. And I'm not gonna ask if any of you have ever been through detox or know anybody that has been through detox because it was the closest to hell I think that I've ever come. Like it was rough going through a medicated detox at rehab. That sucked. Laying on my brother and sister-in-law's couch with nothing, with nothing to help me get through detox, just having to ride it out. Like that was rough. Like the rehab and the detox that I went through there, it didn't touch what I was going through. And I, I literally got to this point where I was laying there and I, I thought I was gonna die. Like, that's what it feels like. Like, you feel like this is it. Like, I, like I can't do this. And, and I remember being there and it was about my third or fourth day at my brother's house and I had hit like my lowest point. And As I was laying there, I was, I, I was just looking back and, and thinking about the fact that I had it all. Like, I had an amazing job that I had worked 10 years to get to. And, and I was making a lot more money at that time than a lot of people my age. Um, I had an amazing car. I had a woman in my life who loved me unconditionally and treated me amazing and knew about the problems that I had and loved me through it and loved me anyways. And I'm laying there and I'm thinking like, this is it. I literally have nothing now. So I decided to go for a walk. And I was walking and I can remember walking for a while, like walking around his neighborhood and thinking and I'll never forget this. I, I, I turned the corner, so I'm facing this way. And it was at night, and the, the sun's going down, and I, I can remember looking up and seeing, like, the sun going down and the clouds there and, and the sky kind of turning that reddish-orange, right? And it was the closest I think I had ever come to hearing God speak to me audibly. And I can remember looking up, and I can remember God whispering to me, 
I'm not done with you yet. And I don't share that story with you to, to get you to leave here thinking, man, that's awesome. Like, that's cool that God spoke to you in such a big way. But I, I share that story with you tonight because I think what you need to know is that if God can take somebody as jacked up as me, if God can take somebody like me who made and hurt so many people in life, then surely there is somebody here that walked in this room feeling defeated, feeling like, God can't do anything in my life. God can't use me for anything. Surely there's somebody like here, like that here tonight, and maybe God put me up here to tell you that God isn't finished with you yet. God wants to use you. God wants to use what you have gone through and experienced in life to change somebody's life. If God can take somebody like me and put me in a church as a pastor, of all things, when I was running in the complete opposite direction, surely God can use somebody like you. But the question is, will you let him? Will you let him pick up those broken pieces of your life and put them back together and make something beautiful? Because I promise you, if you let him, he will. So let's pray. God, I want to I wanna thank you for each and every person in this room, Lord. I don't claim to understand the things that they have gone through in life. I don't claim to, to understand the pain that they are facing and the mistakes that they have made, the, the chaos that they have created in life, God. But I do know that we serve a God who who can pick up all those broken pieces of our lives and put them back together and, and make something beautiful. God, I pray that you would empower us, empower us as believers to take those steps and, and being transformed, God, as we saw in the scripture tonight, like you did with Joshua, Lord, that, that we would allow you to take those filthy rags off of us, God, that, you would allow, that we would allow you to strip the sin out of our life, Father God, and, and put those clean clothes on us, God. Put those amazing, beautiful clothes on us, Father God, and, and truly pull us into who you created us to be. We love you, Jesus. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.